Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Good day, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Our topic of discussion today are anchondromas. Uh, we have today with us our wonderful guest, Dr. Alicia Kemp. Dr. Kemp is an orthopedic oncologist uh, who uh, trained at the uh, MD Anderson uh, for her fellowship, and she's currently practicing at Wayne State, Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, she is a graduate of uh, Morehouse School of Medicine and did her residency in uh, Texas as well down at Baylor. Uh, she's originally from Michigan and is back home. And coincidentally, she had done presentations on the, the natural history of anchondromas. And I think one of the things I'm most envious about, Alicia, is that uh, is that you have sarcomadoc.com. <laughs> you have a monopoly on that. You own the website and the Instagram. So, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. This is exciting. What a great idea to have this podcast. I think this is a really great way to, you know, deliver quality information to patients and to other folks interested in this unique specialty. So hopefully we can counteract Google and we can be the information source for patients who are looking up these, uh, these topics online. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so excited to have you. You're, you have the great honor of being our very first guest on the show. So welcome. And thank you for joining us and taking time to speak with us tonight. Well, thank you so much. I definitely feel honored. And Enchondroma is a great topic to start with, because I think there's a lot to, there's a lot that we could debate, not just, you know, my opinion, but hopefully it'll be a good discussion between all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And this will be kind of the first of a, a series of benign cartilage tumors that we'll be discussing. So that being said, we'll go ahead and get started. We'll, we'll start with a kind of a basic introduction. So what what is an enchondroma? Yeah, so an enchondroma is a benign cartilage tumor like you talked about. Uh, benign meaning non-cancerous or not malignant. It is one of the most common tumors that I treat uh, because And tumor, again, just is a big umbrella term. Just because we say the word tumor doesn't mean necessarily that we're talking about cancer. And, you know, tumor is just the umbrella term that we we use when we talk about these class of of tumors. So enchondromas are benign, meaning non-cancerous. They happen, you know, inside the bone. Um, I always call them, you know, the well-behaved cousin of the cartilage family because typically they're you know, they sit in the bone, nothing happens to the bone, it doesn't do anything to the bone. And patients can have them, you know, forever and never, never know it until they take an x ray or have, you know, a workup of a different problem. And they we happen to just find this lesion, you know, in whatever bone we're talking about. Um, And really, the true incidence or the how how often it occurs, we really don't know, because most of the time, it's just sitting in the bone and nothing ever happens. But you know, we think it's around two, three percent of folks have them, but you know, really, we don't know unless you have an injury or unless you have an X-ray for some other reason. You may never even know you have this benign lesion. Uh, yeah, you you did mention something there. I like I like that well-behaved. You said well-behaved cousin. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I. So when I'm describing lipomas, I say like you know, lipoma is the good cousin, and you know, liposarcoma is the bad cousin. I say the same thing for enchondromas. Enchondromas are the good cousin, and chondrosarcoma is the bad cousin. And for the listeners uh, who may not know, the lipo uh, is fat, 
Uh, so the lipomas would be benign fat tumor and the liposarcoma would be a cancerous version, well, cancerous family member of that. And uh, it's, it's important that we talk about this because we, uh, previous episode on chondrosarcomas is, uh, is very important because this is part of a family uh, here. I guess we could call it a family. Um, but is there a chance of these enchondromas, of this, these well-behaved cousins to, to become badly behaved? Or. Well, I think that's a part of the debate, you know, um, so some, so the, the literature quotes about 1% of these enchondromas will go on, solitary enchondromas or single bone lesions will go on to become a chondrosarcoma. Um, but actually the paper that you referenced earlier, we were trying to find that actual reference to see what, who actually described that 1% number. And a lot of different people give a lot of different numbers, probably the most well-cited actually says 4.5% of that series of those patients went on to uh, actually become chondrosarcoma. So, you know, I don't think we actually know the true number. We just know it's very low. Um, And really, we don't know, is it, are we missing them? Do they have features that should make us more suspicious for chondrosarcoma? And we're just calling, and we're missing it, and we're just calling it enchondroma, or do they truly go on to transform or become cancer? So, um, you know, that's a topic of debate. Uh, and I think all three of us probably will have a different definition of who's at risk for transforming. Um, but, you know, there are some things that we agree on, but there's lots of things that we disagree on when we talk about who's at risk for transforming into the bad cousin. Yeah, definitely. And um, we'll talk about some of those characteristics that we see on x-ray, I think a little bit later as we get through some of our questions, but I think we'll start kind of, we'll continue going through the history. And and you brought up a great point that these are often not recognized until you get an x-ray or imaging for some other reason. So you might hear your doctor call this an incidental finding. That's another way of saying that. So it just means we happen to see it on x-ray, but it's probably not the reason why you got the x-ray. But so kind of moving on to our next question, which I think a lot of listeners will have, but who, who gets enchondromas? What kind of person is the typical patient who walks into the office and is diagnosed with an enchondroma? So typically it's an adult patient. Um, you know, the age range is very wide, but typically we think like 20s, 30s, all the way up to 50s. Um, beyond 50, uh, you know, some folks say that you're at slightly higher risk for um, seeing uh, the more aggressive forms or the chondrosarcoma. Um, And then also, you know, the theory was that a piece of the growth plate cartilage actually got stuck in a part of the bone. And then as the bone grew around it, that growth plate cartilage just stayed there. So really that means that probably that it was there as a child, but maybe we didn't see it or, you know, for whatever reason, they never got x-rays. So that number can vary, but typically it's, you know, your adult patient. So typically it's 20 to 50, 20 to 40, 20 to 50 year olds. Um, And it's, again, it's one of the most common, second most common benign cartilage lesion. Um, And you can see it in the hand, you can see it in the arm bone known as the humerus. Yeah, so 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 far we have uh, the enchondromas are a benign tumor cartilage, sort of within the spectrum of cartilage tumors, where there's some chance that they, a uh, very slight chance that they can become uh, cancerous chondrosarcomas. And we sort of touched on what age uh, it's common in, but where where in the body uh, specifically would you say that they occur, 
uh, or at least occur more commonly, and how do they present? Yeah, great question. So typically they're found, um, well, they're inside the bone. They're uh, in, meaning inside, chondro, meaning cartilage-based, um, and then oma, meaning some kind of lesion or tumor. So they're a lesion that's found inside the bone. Um, typically, they're found where the both where the growth is happening quickly. So again, around the metaphysis, which is the area of the bone that has a rich blood supply. So they're, you know, typically they start out in the metaphysis, and then as the bone grows, you know, it can get to a more diaphyseal or the center part of the bone. Um, and then, you know, bones that are affected. So the hand is a, you know, really common place. I think that's probably one of the places that I get referrals the most because they can look really aggressive in the hand. And, you know, your typical orthopedic surgeon is usually comfortable managing an inchondroma of the, let's say the thigh bone, the femur, or the upper arm bone, the humerus. <clears throat> but when it's a small bone like the hand, they can look a little bit more aggressive than, um, you know, a lesion that's in a bigger bone. And so sometimes that's when I will be asked to see the patient and just say, hey, is this normal? Um, and, you know, that's not always easy to tell, even for me, even though I see a lot of these lesions. Um, but that's typically one of the most common places that we see it as orthopedic oncologists. Your average or your typical orthopedic surgeon is going to see it, you know, really commonly in the femur, the thigh bone, the humerus, like we talked about. Um, and typically they're going to be one single lesion or a solitary lesion, but, you know, you can have multiple lesions and sometimes those are associated with symptoms. And sometimes you just have a couple of different lesions in a couple of different places. So long answer to your question. Yeah, no, that was great. I think you summarized things really, really well. Um, and I think you touched on a point um, describing that this occurs in the metaphysis that I think we haven't described uh, really well for our listeners yet. But so we typically described the bones in three parts, uh, the diaphysis, which is more the shaft part of the bone, the epiphysis, which is the end part of the bone, your joint with the cartilage on cartilage covering on the end of it. So uh, I think as easy described in our last episode, this is like the end of the chicken bone that's nice and shiny that you see. And then the metaphysis is the region that joins those two areas of the bone. So, uh, and you described that very, very well, really good blood supply, but that is a very common area to see uh, in chondromas. Anything else to add uh, on that, Izu? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty thorough. Um, I mean, I think uh, probably something that uh, we, we do touch on though they're very rare uh, is are some of the uh, inherited or um, inherited chondromas uh, you know that have that malignant transformation risk like mafushis and oliers is this something that you uh, find that you've seen a lot in your practice uh, at all or not those are sporadic so usually um, <clears throat> there'll be sporadic mutations that we'll see um, and uh, you know, sometimes they usually present younger. So they're usually uh, something that like the peds folks will see and then send to us. Um, and like I said, typically most uh, pediatric orthopedists are pretty comfortable managing them. It's when they're in the pelvis or when they look really aggressive in the hand or something like that, where they actually engage an orthopedic oncologist. But, um, you know, those are sporadic mutations. And so, um, there are some um, other, you know, conditions that are not 
Oliers and Mafuchis, but those are certainly the most common uh, that we would see and that we would treat. Enchondromas are a mixed bag. So, you know, one enchondroma looks totally different even among patients in the, in the same patient in different bones. Um, and so you really need to see a lot to be comfortable managing them, especially if you they can look aggressive in the hand and, you know, you have to be comfortable and have a good algorithm for following them on x-ray. Yeah, it's great. And and it's that's an important, that's a good segue, I think, to sort of the next thing. We've talked a lot about uh, so far how they look and what we say look uh, looking aggressive. So I think probably a two-part question um, will be what what when one of the what are the multiple parts what are the imaging studies that generally you would get as part of your algorithm in evaluating patient a patient with enchondroma and then um, what are the findings that that make it um, uh, an enchondroma for you and then what are some of the other findings that would be concerning that would be becoming uh, something that could be malignant yeah well the gold standard is x-ray i get a lot of patients who come to me with lots of different imaging. I've had patients that come to me with PET scans first. The PET scan is the only way that, you know, <laughs> they presented, only imaging study they presented with. And really the you need an you need an X-ray. X-ray is really the gold standard for diagnosing um, an enchondroma and other cartilage tumors. Um, and then other studies and MRI is also helpful. Um, and we'll talk about specifics on each. Sometimes, you know, if a patient has a pacemaker or like I had recently a patient with a bladder stimulator, um, so she couldn't get uh, an MRI. So CT scans can sometimes also be helpful. Um, you know, bone scans typically aren't really helpful for me. If I'm making a diagnosis on a bone scan, I probably lost the lost the game. And, you know, usually x-ray is the, the first thing and the most important thing that I get. And then orthogonal x-rays. So not just one view, but two views, really getting a good look at it. Um, and then I like the whole bone. So if I see a lesion in the distal femur and I only see an, I only have a knee x-ray, I want the entire bone on x-ray and whatever other imaging study I'm getting. So on x-ray, they have a really classic and characteristic appearance. Um, they look for our listeners like little white dots. So we call those popcorn calcifications. The bone itself um, has kind of an, what we think of as an empty space in the middle, but it's not really empty because it's filled with bone marrow. And in that empty space, there's little white dots. And those are the little stippled calcifications or popcorn calcifications. If you look really close, so on an x-ray, when I'm showing them to a patient, I'll zoom in and try to get the magnification really up. You can actually sometimes see rings um, and you can also see arcs. Uh, you know, that takes, uh, sometimes you see more or less of it, just depending on how the lesion looks. That's a you know, pretty characteristic and classic finding. On the MRI, I always order my MRIs with contrast. Um, so I'm looking for a lesion that's dark on the first sequence that I look at, which is T1. And then on the second sequence, because cartilage has water in it, on the T2 sequence, it should be bright because cartilage has a lot of water. And then typically on the post-contrast image, sometimes it can be enhancing, but typically it's not. Usually, you know, if it has no enhancement or, you know, you see a little bit of variable spots with 
with focal enhancement, I still don't get worried if it's just sitting quietly in the bone. And then again, so the lesion is just sitting in the middle of the bone. It's not, you know, eating away the bone. It's not outside the bone, which would be the soft tissue calcifications. It's just sitting quietly in the bone and the bone is just sitting quietly around it. So as long as it's not doing anything to the bone or the bone isn't doing anything to it, then I don't get worried. All right. So if, if, we get the imaging that has these rings and arcs or popcorn right on T2, relatively uh, homogenous, so everything looks pretty similar, and it's it's sort of by itself and not really disturbing the neighboring tissue, um, uh, then then you're less concerned that it's anything more than an echondroma. Correct. I, you know, a, a video is better than a movie. So if I see it the first time and it looks quiet and well-behaved, I'll bring the patient back in three to six months, depending on, you know, other things, which we can talk about. Um, And then if it looks exactly the same, then I'm a little, you know, then my anxiety level goes down, down, down. So, you know, one picture is great, but typically I bring these patients back to kind of see how things are changing over time. And if it looks exactly the same, then great. Then, you know, we're comfortable um, just watching it and not, we don't have to do anything else. But if it looks well-behaved the first time I meet the patient and then three months or six months later or a year later, it's starting to change. Those are things that kind of raise my antenna and make me concerned that we may not just be dealing with it in control. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a really good summary of some of the findings that we see on enchondroma or for enchondroma. So that was great. Um, And you kind of touched on some of the things that might make you a little bit more worried, like where it's eating away at the bone. So I think some of the terms we'll hear our radiologist friends use for that is the endosteal scalping, where it's kind of eating into the inside of the cortex of the bone, Um, or if there's lysis. So where there's a more hollow part of the bone on either the x-ray or CT. Maybe some of the other things would be if it's expanding the bone too, which though, as you mentioned, it can look more aggressive in the hand and sometimes it can be expansile, but still is an enchondroma in, in the hand. But in other areas that that might be more uh, concerning if it's starting to push outside the bone or break through the bone. But um, yeah, I think that's a really good summary. And that's a great, that's a great point. So expansion without breaking through doesn't worry me so much, right? Because it takes a while for it to expand and the bone has time to react and put new bone down. But if it's expanding so much that it's actually breaking through the bone, that's not an enchondroma. That's, you know, that's something totally different. Great. Okay. And I think we kind of already touched on some of the other things we'd be worried about as far as um, a differential diagnosis, which is something we always make in our minds when we come in and see a patient in the clinic um, with a concerning lesion or tumor. Um, and certainly chondrosarcoma is going to be the thing that we'd worry about the most um, as being the cancerous or malignant cartilage-related lesion, but there's other benign cartilage tumors uh, that would be on the differential as well if we see those popcorn features or rings and arcs on the x-ray. So, awesome. Yeah, so uh, so it sounds like We've gone through a process so far. Um, you you know, a patient comes in, they they have this lesion or tumor. It's within the bone. It, it seems uh, pretty stable in the imaging. Um, what 
is your as part of your treatment algorithm what are your treatment options uh, or interventions for a patient um, when they do present with uh, with what on imaging is consistent with an enchondroma are you going ahead and uh, biopsying uh, patients or you um, do they require surgeries often or non-operatively what um, um, so most, I would say, I don't know, I don't, you know, I hate to put a number on it, but the majority of patients don't need anything there. It's an incidental finding. So most patients who have been chondromas, we just, I follow them for a few years. How many years is debatable, but we can talk about that too. Um, you know, I follow them until either they're tired of coming back or I'm convinced that it's not going to change. You know, I just follow them with just usually plain x-ray. If I can see it on x-ray, good orthogonal high quality x-rays are enough. Um, for patients, some patients have pain in the area of the enchondroma that they have attributed it to the enchondroma. So the, for those patients, I try to figure out, you know, how much of the pain is actually related to the enchondroma. So a really common places like the shoulder and folks over 40, uh, they come in and they have a rotator cuff issue from and, but there's a, you know, a white thing on their x-ray that someone told them they should be concerned about. So they come in and they want to know, you know, should they really be concerned about it? So some things I'll do is sometimes I'll, you know, inject the shoulder. So I'll inject an intraarticular steroid injection to, to try to see, okay, if your pain goes away with that, then we know it's not related to the enchondroma. There's something else going on. And your, you know, your primary orthopedic surgeon can handle that. Um, you know, then there are a subset of people. I had just had a lady the other day that it truly was her enchondroma that was causing her pain. We tried lidocaine patches. We tried, you know, diagnostic steroid injections and she just never got better. Um, and so I went in and I curated it out and I cemented and her pain is much, much better. So, you know, there are a, sub a small subset of people that the pain is truly related to the enchondroma, but for the average person, usually it's, it's not really a painful lesion. There's pain from some other reason that just happens to be in an area where the enchondroma is. And I typically don't biopsy unless I know exactly where I'm going to target the needle. So, you know, I have an MRI, there's a part on the MRI that looks concerning and I can tell my radiologist, okay, I want you to sample that area. Um, because biopsy can be confusing even for the pathologist. Um, you know, it can be very difficult to tell a low-grade chondrosarcoma from an enchondroma. You know, typically you can see a low-grade, you can tell a enchondroma from a grade two or three or high-grade chondrosarcoma, but in that low-grade area can be very difficult. And often the pathologists are looking at you to ask you, what do you think <laughs> based on the imaging and based on how many you've seen? So, a, a biopsy is not always as helpful as you would hope it would be. But if there's something that's concerning, like a piece that, you know, I'm worried about is the cortex intact there, I'll, I'll have the pathologist target the needle and I'll, you know, tell them exactly where I'm concerned about. Yeah. And, and, some, and just something to add on to the tail end of that is, you know, in a biopsy, when you have an enchondroma, generally it will appear as benign cartilage, which will have uh, cells which on the histology would look hypocellular, so not as many cells um, on the screen, uh, and they will all generally have no atypia within the nuclei. This is for the 
um, trainees who are listening in. Yeah, so it, so it needs to look like cartilage, right? So if you get it and it looks like the cartilage in the textbook where all the cells are in their little lacunae, you know, there's every cell looks exactly the same. There's no mitotic figures. When we say atypia, that just means they don't look strange. Everything looks uniform. You know, those are those are characteristics of normal cartilage. Anything outside of that, if it doesn't look like normal cartilage, then, you know, you're probably not dealing with enchondroma. And then a little pro tip, you know, cartilage is purple, bone is pink, right? So if you're looking at a histology slide, what color is it on your H&E stain? Um, and it should look very uniform. Great point. Yeah, no, and that's a really good summary for, for our trainees. And also, I'm sure that there's going to be some patients and listeners out there who are curious about some of the more uh, scientific aspects of it as well. So great summary. Um, and you discussed some of the times when you'd be thinking about surgery versus not doing surgery and just treating non-operatively or maybe ruling out uh, other causes of pain, which is the most common way that people present with this. But another way that people might present, which I don't think we've talked about yet, but could be from what's called a pathologic fracture meaning a fracture through this weakened area of the bone where this, this benign lesion is present. So even though it's a benign problem, sometimes it can cause a real problem for patients and that it's weak and they have a fall that otherwise may not have broken the bone, but because there's that weakened area of the bone, it happened to break during the fall, um, uh, for example. And so in that case, you know, the fixation of course is going to depend on where that happens, but um, what would be some of the other considerations at the time of surgery if you saw someone who had a pathologic fracture through an enchondroma? Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, so the first thing is I want to look to see if they've had any old imaging um, because it can be really difficult to tell someone who's got a pathologic fracture if what you're seeing is, you know, the cartilage lesions inside the bone now looks like it's outside only because the bone broke or because it's been breaking through the cortex. So that's a really, really excellent point. And usually, um, usually they have imaging of some sort, even if it was many, many years ago. Um, you, I would try to ask the patient to grab their discs from whatever hospital they were from and actually bring it with them to the appointment, not just the radiology report, but the actual images. So we can take a look and see what was happening with that lesion. And if it looked perfect and well-behaved and quiescent in the bone before, and they just happened to have a trauma or a fall that can explain the fracture, then, you know, it doesn't automatically get upgraded to a chondrosarcoma. It's still that benign cartilage lesion that it always was. The patient just happened to have a fall or a trauma. Um, but exactly like you said, so, you know, I guess it depends on how big it is and what exactly fractured, but, you know, Typically, um, sometimes in proximal humerus fractures, you don't always have to fix them. But if it's in a bone where we would be fixing it, had the enchondroma not been there, then, you know, I would usually curate it out. I may add cement if it's very large. Um, and then, you know, you'll put whatever hardware is appropriate. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, then you send a sample as a biopsy too. And everyone is happier once we see that uh, it looks nice yeah. and benign on the, uh, under the microscope as well. Yeah, you have to be, I think you have to be careful because you have to tell your pathologist that it did fracture because sometimes they like to overcall fracture hematoma and things. Um, 
Yeah, you, you do have to, you know, I always bring up the x-rays with my pathologist. I try to engage them to look at the x-rays and talk to them before and tell them what I'm, you know, concerned about so that they can be concerned about the same things and not concerned about the things that I'm not concerned about. So, you know, it's really, a, I mean, it's really a multidisciplinary approach. So you really have to to treat these well. You really need to be in a center that has a pathologist that and a radiologist that are comfortable with looking at these lesions. Um, and if you're not, then you just have to do a little extra work and you have to engage folks um, and just let them know, you know, what it is that you're looking for and what you're concerned about. Yeah. I mean, this is great because this it's very important to be on the same page with the team uh, and communicating with all the various members of the team is absolutely paramount. Um, a couple of things I, I did want to touch on from what you said. So uh, we talked a little bit about cement here uh, for uh, people who do not know this is a bone cement. Um, it's not like the building cement. Uh, um, it's sort of different that we use in surgery to help sort of fortify weakened areas. Um, and then we also talked, to the, I think one, one very important point for patients that you uh, brought up is having copies of your imaging. And so this is something that, that every, everyone should have is whenever you get an MRI or an X-ray or a CT scan uh, is to obtain a copy of that to keep with you as your personal record so that whenever you are seeing a new physician or a physician for a consultation referral that you're able to provide that because it does help give a complete picture a lot of the times um, and and sort of see things in a timeline versus at a singular point. And I did want to add, so cement is my personal preference, but some people use um, allograft, which is donated uh, bone. Some people use autograft, which is graft from your own person. I particularly like autograft in particular because, uh, you know, you can contaminate that other site. So let's say this was, this happened to be a low-grade chondrosarcoma that you were curating out and you, you know, go in, tinker around in the in the distal femur where the, where the low-grade chondrosarcoma was, then you go tinker around in their iliac crest where you're going to take the graft from, then you go back and you tinker around in the distal femur. You've just now contaminated a whole nother site that was never involved. And so personally, I don't like autograft and people have really painful incisions right around the iliac crest. So I don't like autograft. And then allograft sometimes can resorb over time. So it can be really difficult to tell is the enchondroma coming back, which is, you know, pretty unusual, but can happen, or is it the allograft that's resorbing? So again, you know, typically cement is just my go-to because then I know if something is changing, it's not the cement that's changing, it's the lesion that's coming back. So yeah, not, not really does it come back as a higher grade lesion, but you know, it's just a little bit easier to interpret the x-rays. Yeah. And I think that's a really great segue into our next question, which is what is the surveillance for patients after treatment or who don't require treatment? And you kind of touched on this and mentioned this, I think a little bit earlier in terms of when you would typically get new x-rays for someone where you just want to watch this and confirm that it's an enchondroma. But um, if you want to summarize that again, patients who you think don't need treatment and you just want to watch and then those who maybe you treated with a surgery or something and what what your typical protocol is afterwards yeah so 
the first time I meet a patient, I'll do what's called close surveillance, which is, you know, typically I'll get x-rays, orthogonal, good, high-quality x-rays every three months or so initially, just to make sure it's not changing. You know, typically once we've met a few times, you know, I'm not really concerned about it. I'll extend that interval out to maybe six months. You know, there's no good consensus on how long you need to follow them, which was the point of that paper that we wrote that uh, we were talking about earlier. Um, we found that if they're going to transform, you know, first of all, less than 1% of those patients went on to transform and it took them many, many years to actually do it. So even the ones that we were watching for two years, that's really not long enough. And you're only trying to, you're trying to catch such a small subset is it you really need to make every patient, you know, take x-rays every few months just to find 1%. So, you know, it's really, it's a difficult question that, Certainly, I'm not qualified and I don't have all the answers to, but, um, you know, I, I think you have to be, you and the patient have to be comfortable that it's not changing. Um, and so, you know, once you get a few x-rays in a row that show that it's, it looks exactly the same, you know, you could space out your intervals. People can yeah. follow people for 20 years, but I don't know if that's, you know, the right answer either. Right. And then also patients who have had surgery. So you mentioned you like cement because it's easier to see what things look like on follow-up and imaging and um, kind of what are the typical imaging um, tools that you order for patients when they're coming back to see you and uh, uh, what, yeah, what surveillance are you typically doing for those patients who you had to treat surgically? Yeah, so for surgical patients, I do follow them longer because I want to make sure they heal well and I want to make sure they don't have any long-term problems. Um, so for so I'm following them with x-ray again, high quality orthogonal x-rays of the whole bone. And um, then I'm, you know, early on, I follow every three months usually for about the first year to two years. Then I'll stretch it out to every six and then eventually we're getting down to once a year. Perfect. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of consistent with what we've talked about in our earlier episodes where um, usually you're going to be followed you know, more frequently early on, regardless of the kind of tumor that you have. And then of course that gets spaced out over time if those visits are, are reassuring. And so I think that's consistent here as well, uh, along with the fact that multidisciplinary care can still be incredibly important, even for benign lesions such as in chondromas. So awesome. I think that's a really great summary of things. Uh, Dr. Kemp, is there anything else that you would like to add about enchondromas at this time before we get to our summary? I think um, that it's a real challenge even for orthopedic oncologists to, to treat because everybody's enchondroma looks different. Um, so I think, I think the most important parts are that, you know, a video is better than a picture and having more x-rays to kind of document the fact that they're, it's not changing and that it's, you know, well-behaved in the bone is the most important and, you know, takeaway points. So. Yeah, definitely. So old and future x-rays to compare are, uh, are definitely very valuable. So um, great. Well, I think we'll summarize some of our, our uh, top points that we talked about in today's episode. Um, so just to summarize a couple at the beginning, so enchondroma, again, this is a benign tumor of cartilage that occurs inside the bone. 
this usually presents as an incidental finding, meaning that you get imaging of an area for a reason um, other than knowing that there was a lesion in the bone. It's usually pain from something else, but uh, additional studies may be merited if necessary, depending on what that looks like. Um, and Izu, if you want to mention a couple more points we talked about today. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if patients are presenting with pain, uh, it sounds like we'll have to work that up. One, to rule out and identify the cause of the pain. And then um, secondarily, to make sure that they do not have an encontroma that at, at some point evolved to something more like a low-grade chondrosarcoma. And in terms of follow-up imaging uh, and surveillance for patient, I think having good orthogonal x-rays is something that we touched upon a lot uh, here and and making sure we have uh, you know also a history of previous imaging uh, as well. I think that uh, enchondromas are relatively common and many uh, orthopedists will uh, see many patients with enchondroma in their time. And it's possible that some of our, our listeners also might have this diagnosis. I hope that this episode is very helpful in, in elucidating and clarifying things for them. We do uh, like to close by saying it's important to note that every patient's case is unique. Uh, and treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on discussion with your uh, physician and team of uh, and treatment team. Uh, if you would like uh, more information, feel free to check out the links in the episode description. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. If you enjoyed the show, uh, please make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on uh, Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, I do want to finish by saying that that uh, to saying a big thank you to Dr. Kemp for being on. I mean, she um, is really amazing. You know, I, I think, you know, Elise and I have known her for years and um, not only for, for what she does within her practice uh, in her life, but also all the stuff she does for other people uh, in orthopedics uh, and really helping uh, support and mentor uh, others. So I, I really wanted to make sure that I uh, highlight that and thank you for that. Thank you both. Thanks for letting me be your first guest. I'm excited to hear more. Sarcoma Insight.